If you step into Hall 1 at Copenhagen Contemporary in these months, you'll be met by a bright, colorful playscape. The walls are in red, yellow and blue, and on a green carpet you'll find objects, small and big, asking for you to play with them. In one side of the playscape are two big, sparkling carousels. It's their clicking you can hear. And if you'd like, you can sit down in one of the carousel chairs and take a ride. Then you might notice that the pace is slightly different from most other carousel rides. It's much slower. As you get out of the carousel chair and you walk a few meters ahead to the next object, you'll be facing a tall, human-sized mushroom, made out of three different mushroom species. And if you push it, it tilts and moves in unpredictable ways while it plays its own soundscape from within. At times it seems almost a little malevolent, as if it's about to hit you. This is CC Audio, a podcast featuring encounters with selected works and artists showcased at Copenhagen Contemporary. The carousels and the mushroom are part of the installation Garden Kinder from the exhibition Reproduction by the German artist Carsten Hüller. Besides Garden Kinder, the exhibition also consists of the installation Killing Children, which, as you might think, is also a lot less playful. Carsten Hüller is well known for his participatory installations, but before he started making his way into the art world, he was actually working as a scientist within the fields of biology and agriculture. Often you'll be able to find traces of this in his art, and some of his works can seem almost like scientific experiments. Ahead of the Christmas holiday, Copenhagen Contemporary hosted a talk between him and Daniel Bjornbaum, the curator and former director of the Modern Art Museum of Stockholm. The two of them have known each other through decades and have collaborated on several occasions. And in this episode of CC Audio, you get to hear them talk about the concept of unsaturated art and the relationship between human creation and the natural world. And it's Daniel Bjornbaum who starts off. Um, there are perfectly crafted objects and beautiful animals and mushrooms and, and other things. And yet, I have the feeling that your art is not about those objects. They are about the objects in some way, because these objects trigger reactions and they... But I feel that they're more like mechanisms where you are part of the artwork. And we have been talking about this at some other, in some other occasion, on some other occasion, that you're more interested in the experiences than in the, in the objects themselves. They're almost like uh, traps or something, that you're brought into them and, and, and the work becomes about you and your, and your relationship to the thing. And, and, and your works are more like functions in that logical sense. It's actually from Frege. And, and they are uh, therefore not saturated. And, and yeah, remember this theory of, of ours. Yeah, yeah. We spoke about this many times because also I think it's a very beautiful word <clears throat> to say so what kind of art are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm doing like unsaturated art. <laughs> and then you say, okay. But <clears throat> unsaturated then, like it's, it's a term that you, 
in a situation like this brought up with reference to this logician from the 19th century called Gottlob Frege. Yeah. And, and if I remember right, it's like, basically it's like, if, if you summarize it, it's like, um, some things are sentence and some things are function. So like, um, Aristoteles is a human being, that's a sentence, right? Makes sense. But being a human is a function. No, wasn't it like, yeah, like yeah. this? And then, um, so this function is unsaturated because it needs an actor, an X something that makes the function, um, you know, uh, work. Uh, so in terms of art, it's interesting to think about this because I don't know how to really say this, but I have a problem with the finite artwork, like an object, like something that has a beginning and an end. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. So you can easily um, understand it when you look at these uh, uh, Carsten points towards two of his works by the name Birds. It's a couple of photogravure prints hanging on the opposite wall. They are like saturated artworks, and um, they have like a beginning and end, especially because they have a frame. So you, you know, if you think about the frame as something that makes you understand something because it is different from the rest of the world. So the frame is more like a separation and it creates an entity that is palatable and it stops like outside of the image, there's the frame that makes it stop. But the beginning and the end is also um, true for, you know, sculptures, they have like a certain shape. Performances, they go from a certain moment to a certain moment, and a lot of other things. So why don't we think of, like, I, I'm, I'm, like, there's two discussions, like, either why I find this problematic, well, for many reasons, I don't think this is something that should be excluded uh, uh, completely, it's, you know, this is how art has been mainly done, um, mainly, but we also live in a time where there's a lot of this is produced and it's almost like a flooding of art objects that I personally find suffocating. And so to get out of this is, first of all, I think the exhibition as an artwork is very interesting as a form. Because an exhibition expects a viewer, so to say. An ex exhibition yeah, is not so like closed and finished. It, it, it's a constantly open format. Yeah, but it's also like, in the, like here, it's big enough to, uh, to make it difficult for you to see the beginning and the end. So it becomes like a, you know, like a, like a something, like an exhibition um, that contains artworks, but the, the exhibition itself is an artwork too. And then comes the next level, which is the visitor, which I find, uh, you know, like interesting that uh, in a more like traditional context, you would often pretend nobody else is there. So for me, this moment of, of epiphany was really a Mark Roscoe show. I saw the um, Roscoe Chapel in Houston when I was still a scientist in 1991, and there was, you know, I found it really overwhelming. But would you say that a Rothko painting, which is maybe the most, I mean, a masterpiece, whatever that means, a, a Rothko painting, a Brancusi object, are they saturated? Uh, yes, they are. But They're uh, fully perfect. I mean, there's good, good yeah. saturated art. Like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. say it's all bad. No, I just wanted to know whether... <laughs> 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 just so that we, 
to understand the, the vocabulary here. No, but then I just the art finish. market prefers yeah. saturated objects. Definitely. So yeah. there's a very strong connection because unsaturated art is not art market yeah. compatible yeah. at time. I, I would say the most extremely perfectly saturated object in recent times is Jeff Koons' rabbit. It's very, very saturated. <laughs> it, it, it works as like a... But also perfect, like a, actually. Yeah, yeah, it has like all the elements of... But then, actually, we two together saw Jeff Koons in a talk in Stockholm. And interestingly, this artist who makes very saturated art tried to turn this around. And he said it's all about the reflection of you. And the viewer, he was quite yeah. good at that, actually. He was yeah. very good. So he, he got... Into the, out of it. <laughs> he got out of it. He, he, like, he, he went into the realm of the unsaturated by speaking about the reflection of the viewer in his artwork. So it's very he, he pretended that the, yeah. that the rabbit was actually kind of a piece of relational art or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> suddenly we were like... But would you say that this word, uh, uh, if you talk about works that are open and therefore not saturated and expecting the viewer, is that another way of talking about relational aesthetics? Yes, I think it is, but a relational aesthetics is so, how can I say? Historicized and no, exhausted. Yeah. Like it's, as a term, it has been a little bit, you know, used to define a certain thing or form of art. So, but in a way it is. Uh, that's another discussion. I mean, in art, I mean, some of your friends and people you have been communicating with and, and also showing often with, maybe less today, but in, 10, 20, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, someone like Philippe Pareno and uh, Dominique Gonzalez Fairstern, they, uh, I always felt that they were very interested in, not necessarily in the perfect object, but in the exhibition. Uh, and, and, um, and especially Philippe, uh, uh, who I know quite well, often talks about his experiences from the Pompidou back then, there was this show by, by Jean-François Lyotard, uh, the philosopher, uh, that you know, meant a lot for Philippe. And he realized that it's the exhibition rather than the piece, maybe. I think you share a lot of, uh, of fundamental ideas there, that it's, it's, it's the space and the, yeah, the, the space that needs a viewer that, is, that interests him. Yes, but still I also want to bring in the viewer, the visitor, because that's another thing. So, Back to Wasco, I saw another Wasco show at the Tate uh, at some point in London, and there was it was full of people, and they had like the audio guides on, they're trying to, like to stare at the Wasco in front of them. It just didn't work. So because this idea to 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 substract the the presence of other people, because you want to connect to the artwork, I think is um, it's it doesn't really work. Other people have a very strong presence. They, they are usually stronger than any artwork can be. You know, you check them out uh, <clears throat> immediately, just maybe you know them, if you don't know them, it's an automatic process. It happens all day long. So why don't we bring them in? And then maybe for me, also like uh, just as a kind of personal experience, I grew up in Belgium <coughs> and um, my father liked Bruegel and maybe that's my first art experience is Bruegel paintings. So I saw Bruegel paintings at the sensible age, and then I liked this very much, this idea of having a landscape with you know, human constructions and lots of people doing lots of different things. I, I only understood this kind of recently that maybe 
interest formative in the, uh, experience. Yeah, but also the interest in the exhibition as an artwork has to do that with some kind of, I say like Bruegel inference, that you want to have this landscape with all these different people doing all these different things. And that's what you see. So that's why here you have also the benches so you can sit down and watch the scenery and then you frame it again and it becomes saturated. So As I mentioned earlier, Carsten's scientific background has found its way into his artworks, and he doesn't really like to make a clear separation of the two, the world of science and the world of art. This whole art and science thing that you don't like, I still want to ask you some questions. Would you say that art is... Um, um, that, that one learns something through art? Is it about producing knowledge? Can one learn something about the world through art? Um, <laughs> I mean, is it, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it could also be it could also be a parasite. Uh, maybe art is a living being that is parasitizing us, and we make it, and we look at it, and we make more and more. And this living being is like becoming more and more alive and spreading. It's like a virus. So that's one way to answer it. Then I think there's um, there's a language of as you said, science and art. There's a language of science, and there's a language of art. Language of science, we all know it's very defined, you know, like it has to follow certain rules. Language of art, in principle, is the opposite, because there are no rules, which is, you know, making, opening the field or the door wide open for all kind of things. So, um, what is the question again? If yeah, like whether it produces knowledge, I mean, is it a kind of epistemological tool? Do we learn things? I actually just saw this quote, which I thought was, um, uh, it's the kind of perfect quote that a Nobel Prize winner should deliver. It was Naipaul who won the Nobel Prize in literature many, many, many years ago. And he said, and I don't know if this is true, it just sounded good. He said that, you know, uh, science, through science we learn about the world and the universe. And through art we also learn a lot, but about ourselves. Do you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about this. I, I think actually, if I'm very honest, I think like the kind of art that you probably mean right now is a Western invention in some way, uh, because uh, there has been a necessity for doing this, and probably it has to do with a certain kind of unhappiness um, that we have been cultivating in many different ways. So this is like a little kind of theory of mine that I don't think many people would agree to, and this is a very unspecific term because it doesn't relate to anything. You know, it's just like a condition of the human being that has been part of our, our culture. We use unhappiness in order to you know, make other people do what we want them to do. And we kind of, this is our, our you know, one of the things that we, we have developed. But we also, we also have a, you know, like a, a rich literature about it. We have a philosophy about it. We have a lot of things. And art maybe is a way to deal with our own unhappiness, I would say. With, with all this knowledge that you have about the world of uh, animals and birds and ornithology and mushrooms and living things, um, I, I wonder sometimes if you, if you think that human creations artworks are totally different from the beautiful things we find in nature. Is a mushroom, a beautiful mushroom or an unbelievably delicious bird, 
an art piece? Do, are there creative forces in nature that are comparable to, to our human? Well, you know, like if I would be a scientist, I would say something stupid like, there are these birds, uh, what's it called, like liar birds, I think in English. So the males build like, they collect like everything that is blue and they build some kind of structure and they put it in front of it and they, they want to show <coughs> how, how good they are doing this. And another male does it in a different way and then it's all about female choice. So I'm not saying that. No, you're not a I'm Darwinian. Not saying... <laughs> Your understanding of beauty is not Darwinian. No, I think like I, I wouldn't make a difference really between like say and uh, you said a bird and an airplane. Okay, you can say an airplane is like not like a bird. It's kind of primitive, you know. It has like big turbines and it's sturdy and and a bird is so elegant and the feathers and the lightness of it and it flies in such a beautiful way. But why do you want to think that these are you know the same just because they fly? They're just products of evolution. So I have a problem with taking us out of the natural discourse and say, we are different. I don't think so. So I think an airplane is a product of evolution, like a bird. Uh, no, but I, I um, no, but yeah, I, 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 I'm sure you're right. But are, is your general understanding anthropocentric? Do, uh, is your art, do you think that other creatures can also produce art? Yeah, if they need to, if they're unhappy enough or whatever the motivation is. Uh, I don't know, like unhappiness is maybe just a little spice in the soup. It's probably more complex than that. Um, but if they need to, I think they would. It's like, but it has to do obviously with consciousness. We don't do unconscious art, really. Among the animals and the plants and other living things that pops up in his artworks, the mushroom is one of the objects that seems to reappear in Carsten's art. The mushroom for me is more uh, like, you know, like the animal too, I think, but the mushroom more easily a monument of incomprehensibility because it doesn't make sense. So the mushroom is... You know, it's, it's, a, it's called a fruiting body, what we call the mushroom usually. Comes out of the mycelium with the goal of spreading the spores with the wind. <coughs> um, very few exceptions are the stinkhorn, which is part of the mushroom that is over there because it's uh, smelling like shit really and it's attracting flies so that the flies can bring the spores around. And then the famous truffle that we all <coughs> hear about which is under the ground and in order to spread the spores needs to be dug out by wild boars or something and eaten and then it's spread with the <coughs> excrements of uh, the animals. We should maybe also think about this when we eat truffles. Um, so otherwise mushrooms are coming in an enormous variety of forms, colors and especially ingredients that, you know, it's, it's, it's just surprising. So what is this? It doesn't have any function. So I always like to compare mushrooms to flowers and fruits because flowers and fruits make sense. They're colorful, they're tasteful because of, <coughs> you know, attracting pollinators or spreading the, the seeds, but not mushrooms. So what is this? It's, um, it's, it's a known unknown. Yeah, the it's mushroom a, is a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. 
I'm thinking, I mean, about your different activities in your different fields of, uh, I don't know if research is the right name, but the uh, word, but uh, there's a similar multiplicity of formats that you actually, we all sit here now in a Kunsthalle and there's a big exhibition next to us and you do show sometimes also in smaller galleries and the exhibition format is one thing, but then you've been involved with a number of curatorial projects or other kinds of things. I mean, our show, but then I know you've done a show about African art once. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there you've been, you know, move, migrating a little bit into other, but then you have your own world of, um, yeah, food-related events. You did a, 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 a kind of dinner recently, and you you ran this thing called the Double Club, which is so. There there are different um, there are different formats of of uh, active are, are all of those art activities. The dinners and the the Double Club was that an art project? Yes. I love that. I love the idea that it's not like like in a Duchampian way that you have like an art object and a non-art object, and by taking the non-art object into the art context, you make it into a ready-made. But I love the idea of Ausfranzen, how you say that in English? Like fading out, so to say. So there's no, no real, you know, you can say here it stops and there it begins or something. It's just fading out in a kind of, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not about making the objects, it's about creating a method. And the method is, I think, the main thing. So ideally, even as an artist, I think I should be doing automatic art. I shouldn't think about it. It should be the product of a method, no? Like something that is not me anymore, and I don't know, that I've seen some Bruegel when I was young and so on, but just creating the method that is then making, I'm, I'm the method facilitator, so to say, in order to make, at the end, what then would be a valuable work of art. So, I think we've exhausted all possible <laughs> themes. <laughs> no, I mean, isn't it interesting that we can talk about mushrooms and carousels and, and uh, birds and still, you know, pretend that we're talking uh, about art or something. I get very suspicious that there is such a thing as art, but that's another theme. I think that there's so many different things that, you know, that it falls apart into some sort of multiplicity of, uh, of, of things. I don't, uh, do you think there's a thing called art? Oh, yes, I really think so. I think there's a language of art that is uh, defining itself by itself, and it's constantly under, you know, reinterpretation and so on. So we are, we are basically doing this. I okay. think this is no, no, that's reassuring because I wasn't quite sure. So all I want to say now is Merry Christmas and thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to CC Audio, created and produced by Copenhagen Contemporary in collaboration with me, I'm Astrid Hell. The music was made by Jared C. Ballock and Chris Silver T. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.